because the, the way that battery storage is going to be treated differently is hopefully going to free up capacity on the network for um, other types of demand users. Um, so anyone who's developing any large sort of demand scheme, large scale housing, large shared data centers and the like, um, I think are probably going to be interested in this as well. Hello and welcome to the Connectology podcast. Here, Road Knight Taylor's influential team of elite connection specialists and their expert guests help you to better understand distribution and transmission network connections and how to acquire them faster, for less cost and at lower risk. Hi everybody and welcome to what is an emergency episode of the Connectology podcast. Um, and I say emergency because it's a, it's a pressing matter that um, Pete Aston in particular, so we've got Pete Aston and Philip Bale, two connectologists on this podcast. Welcome guys. Nice to be here. Thank you, Hugh. Hi, Hugh. Good. So we were meant to be recording this last week, but poor Pete was, uh, was very poorly. How are you feeling now, Pete? Mostly better, thank you, Hugh. Slightly croaky throat do sound like you've got a bit of a frog in your throat there. Um, and so we had to record the grid news and views without Pete um, last week, and we were unable to record this episode. And so we're recording it remotely, which is why the sound quality might be a bit average, but it's, it's a, a very important topic that is quite time sensitive. And it's to do with the new treatment of battery energy storage systems by network operators, specifically distribution network operators with regards connections. First of all, Pete, and you've been kind of spearheading, uh, getting up to speed on this. What is it all about and why is it time sensitive that we wanted to get this out quickly? Okay, thanks, Hugh. The, ma the main drive of this is coming on the back of the ENA's three-point plan. So, the ENA's had a three-point plan going this year to try and accelerate connections, uh, along with the NGESO's five-point plan to accelerate connections. So this is very much part of everything that's going on at the moment to try and accelerate connections. Uh, one of the parts of the ENA's three-point plan was specifically around how to improve the treatment of battery storage um, at distribution. So, so what we're talking about today is that part of the ENA's uh, three-point plan, which is all around battery storage. So, so this has got nothing to do specifically with generation or export capacity. So this is very much around the sort of the, the import capacity of uh, batteries, basically. Um, and I guess in, in terms of why it's happening, I guess that's easy in a sense, just as there's so much connected storage um, and it's taking up demand headroom for other types of demand connection across the country. So I think the ENA and the DNA really need to address how battery storage is treated. And so there were rules changed as of the 30th of September this year. So it's only sort of three or four weeks old. Um, uh, and there's some specific ENA guidance documents uh, that relate to this that, that we're going to go through now. Um, I suspect we can put a link in our chat, can't we, to to the ENA guidance documents as to so, so yep. that people can go and read a bit more detail on it if they want to. Yeah, absolutely. We've got those. We'll put a link in the chat. You kindly sent them to me. They're a bit technical for me, um, as you as you can imagine. Uh, as I might be an obvious question. Is any of this retrospective or this is just being applied to new connection applications? So some of this is for new applications. Some of this is going to be retrospective in the way DNOs treat all battery storage. So I think that will come out in the wash as we, as we uh, sort of go through it. But uh, yeah, so part and part, I would say. Cool. 
Yeah, retrospective in the sense of how the DNOs are assessing it rather than retrospective of the impact that it will have on existing contracted customers where they don't already have sort of agreements in place. So it's modeling, their modeling of the existing contracted and connected. Yes. Bess. Okay, cool. Great. So Pete, who's going to be interested in this and why? Okay, so I think the main uh, parties who are going to be interested in this are obviously uh, battery storage developers, um, because this is what these two sort of policy change or these policy changes are aimed at. So battery storage developers very specifically. And then I also think as well, um, uh, sort of large scale demand users, uh, because the, the way that battery storage is going to be treated differently is hopefully going to free up capacity on the network for other types of demand users. Um, so anyone who's developing any large sort of demand scheme, large scale housing, large shared data centers and the like, um, I think are probably going to be interested in this as well. Pete, is it, just quickly, is it also worth saying that this will apply very differently to different DNOs? For instance, some DNOs have already been including the ETR-130 caveat of controllable demand for battery storage for quite some time, whereas other DNOs haven't and have been treating batteries like proper firm demand so effectively some dnos will have far more capacity released by the um the assumptions that are being used than others i think that's a really good point that it raises hugh because one of the reasons that ena wanted to introduce these changes was because there was so much variation across all the dnos as to how batteries had been treated in terms of their demand, uh, their import capacity. So yeah, Philip's absolutely right. The, the impact is going to be very different across all the DNOs. The policy should be now the same across all DNOs, but the impact will be different because DNOs are doing it differently in the past. And the other thing that we might see is that some of the DNOs then changing their ED2 plans, so their electricity distribution period two plans for what reinforcement they're going to do, because some of the DNOs included some very chunky system reinforcement around batteries contributing to P2 compliance issues that now may not be needed or may not be needed quite as soon. So that'll also be interesting to see from some of the DNOs whether they take that money and reallocate it or if it ultimately goes back to customers. Ooh, that's quite a, a, a sort of an important debate to be to be having at some point, I guess. So just very quickly, who should be interested? It's not just storage developers, it's demand developers. So that could be large commercial industrial energy users, those who might be decarbonizing their operations and might be really struggling to secure the demand capacity that they want. And it could be real estate developers who are uh, looking to put in um, large demand sites like sort of big distribution hubs and the like. Um, it could also, I guess, apply to data center developers and operators. So this isn't purely an energy kind of developer podcast. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Great. Excellent. Okay. Um, so I understand from what I did uh, read, thank you for sending it through, Pete, um, is that there are three tactical solutions. Um, and so, Pete, um, do you want to just talk us through those three, please? Yeah, so so very, very quickly, and then we'll go into two of them in more detail. So tactical solution one was around uh, network access rights for new electricity storage. So tactical solution one applies to is going to apply to new applications from the 30th of September onwards. Uh, tactical solution two is all around guidance for the DNOs 
on um, engineering recommendation P2, which is all about security of supply assessments for distribution networks. And then tactical solution three, which we're not going to really dig into today, but um, it's all around how DNOs include forecasts of low carbon technologies on the low voltage network. Um, so looking at sort of background growth in demand and generation schemes associated with uh, how they plan for new connections. Um, so essentially, DNOs are going to have to project demand forward sort of five to 10 years based on background growth in low carbon technologies and take that background growth into account when they're looking at new connections. So I think the overall impact of that is just going to be potentially there's slightly less capacity available for things like battery storage and so on. But I suspect it's marginal because lots of DNOs will have been doing that already. Some DNOs won't. I think that was the point Philip was raising earlier. Yep, and one reinforcement's done. Thanks. So, um, tactical solution one: so network access rights for for new connection customers. That seems like kind of the biggie. So, do you want to talk us through that one, please, Pete? Yeah. So, basically, from from the thirtieth of September this year, all battery schemes are going to be issued as non-firm connections. So I need to now explain what that means because non-firm is used in multiple different ways. So, from one point of view. All battery connections are non-firm because they've almost all of them have got a single circuit connection into their site. Um, so in terms of their connection design, they're non-firm. So if the if the circuit into their site faults or is switched out for some reason, then they go off. So that's true for every battery. In terms of what it means by non-firm here, it's looking at non-firm access to the system, sort of in terms of outages further up the network. So from 30th of September, batteries are going to assume to be non-firm in terms of outages. Um, further up the system that aren't directly impacting the circuit they're connected to. So any outage of any circuit or transformer in the system could theoretically result in a, a battery scheme being switched off. The, the difference to how that appears now is for uh, many battery customers who are, let's say, connected into a, a, a bulk supply point at 33 kV, um, if one of the two transformers at that bulk supply point is switched out, that battery will typically stay on supply. There's lots of batteries that have got a firm access to the system connection sort of, you know, further upstream from their, their sort of connection location. Um, so, so this is quite a big change because the way that the, the rules are, are worded are such that even if there is capacity on the system, a battery uh, scheme will be issued an offer that says that this scheme can be switched off for any outage. So, so let's say a battery is going to connect into a bulk supply point at 33 kV and currently there's capacity on that BSP for that battery to stay on when there's a transformer switched out. Obviously some battery customers have already been issued with non-firm connections um, in some DNOs so National Grid Electricity Distribution for example does issue A&M for batteries for import and export. Uh, other DNOs have done the same as well but there have been some DNOs who've been reluctant to do this. So yeah I, th I think that's going to be the big headline really that all new battery offers are going to be classed as non-firm in terms of access to the wider system. Cool and, and just, just to put that into some kind of context um, Philip if, um, if it is a BSP how long might a transformer be switched out for if a transformer is being replaced and it's being replaced what we'd call online where they take one transformer away and then replace it back in the existing location of where the original transformer was 
that realistically could be off for an entire summer period, a six month period, if they also need to change the bund for the transformer. And I think I think on this as well, Hugh, in terms of the ongoing risk for for battery storage operators, um, having by default a you know a non firm connection, some of the risk depends on exactly how that the DNO is going to apply the non firm sort of solution to that battery. So is it going to be via an intertrip? So i.e., are you going to be tripped off every time that transformer switched out? In which case, if the transformer's out for six months, you're off for six months. Or is it going to be via active network management? So if the transformer switched out, okay, you're going to get curtailed, but you're not necessarily going to be off supply for six months. So that very much depends on how that's applied. And I think just in general, this policy is going to relate to higher risk for some new battery connections. So like we've been talking about already, sites where before you might have benefited from firm access where there is capacity. So so there will be higher risk for some customers. Uh, in other places, it might be lower risk than before because where the DNO has treated you completely firm, not allowed to switch you off for any outage because you're classed as some sort of demand, then you might have faced really high reinforcement charges. So the ability for a DNO to offer you that non-firm connection now for a battery is, is maybe better than it used to be. So so I think there's sort of pros and cons with it across the, across the board. Um, and there is one thing that's a bit unclear at the moment from the guidance as to how hybrid sites are treated. We'll probably need to dig a bit more into, you know, when you've got solar and battery, what does that mean? Agreed, Pete. And I think one of the things that customers will look at a lot more in the future is where are they planning on making those connections? What types of assets are installed there? If there could be future demand growth that is very realistic that could see them enact this first and second circuit outage, because I think it's probably worth saying that the DNOs won't automatically turn you off just because they can. They will turn you off because they have the contractual rights to if they reasonably forecast there will be overloads that would cause issues on the network. So it will be a balance in terms of how long assets will be taken off for, what's the duration, what's the frequency, what's the theoretical load growth and how much headroom might there be in the future, which also means what's the long-term implications of this for each particular scheme. Good. Excellent. I think we've probably done tactical solution one um, to death now, probably uh, far more involved than than Pete has envisaged. So uh, thanks for that. And that feels like a really good time to take a quick break. I hope you're really enjoying this episode so far and are gaining a lot of very useful insight. If you're a new listener, I hope that you'll feel like you might come back. If so, make sure you hit the follow button and feel free to sign up to our newsletter, The Connectologist, at roadnighttaylor.co.uk so you don't miss out on any of the podcast, webinars, case studies, thought pieces and explainers. Welcome back. I hope you uh, had a good break. Guidance on P2 security of supply assessments, um, tactical solution two, that is, Pete. Do you want to um, lead us off into that? Yeah, I apologise slightly in advance uh, because uh, there might be a little bit of um, techie stuff on uh, security of supply here, but um, I, I will try and sort of cover it as briefly as possible just to give a little bit of background to understand this one. So basically, um, tactical solution two around guidance around engineering recommendation P2 on security of supply is needed because there has been so much confusion in the past around how it should be applied. Um, And it's basically needed because tactical solution one has been applied to say, all batteries will now be offered as non-firm because there have been some DNOs in the past that have gone, I can't issue a a battery, a non-firm connection offer because engineering P2 says I can't. 
basically. So in the ENA rolling out tactical solution one uh, to say all batteries are going to be offered non-firm connections, they had to give guidance on P2 so that the, all the DNOs could be on the same page with that. So the, the basic idea of P2 um, is that uh, where there are groups of demand, so like towns, industrial estates, so on, there's a defined level of security of supply provided. Um, so table one in P2 has, shows uh, five different classes of supply from A to E with increasing group demand um, class. So class A is up to one megawatt and then class E for examples uh, 300 megawatts up to 1500 megawatts uh, and generally as your group demand increases so the level of security supply increases um, so a grid supply point feeding a city has more circuits supplying it than a small distribution substation has down uh, a residential street so so that's the general idea of, of P2. Um, so when it comes to connecting batteries, P2 has always been really critical. So uh, in terms of the, the import element of the battery, um, because most DNOs have assumed that battery import adds to your group demand. Uh, and because batteries have, are such a big import, it has a really big impact on how you assess your, your peak demand, your group demand. Um, so so batteries in the, in the past have had the effect of basically taking up demand capacity on the network and taking it away from sort of normal demand customers, factories, housing development, so on. Uh, also, when you when you add a battery demand to P2, you, you often need to do a huge amount of reinforcement, which adds to charges for the battery schemes, adds cost to bill pairs through GEOS and so on. So that's that's the general background to, to Tactical Solution 1. So, so the way that Tactical Solution 2 addresses it, so it looks at it in two ways. It looks at it in terms of, one, in terms of controllable storage, uh, and I'll explain what we mean by that in a minute and then two in terms of non-controllable storage so so in terms of controllable storage um that basically means storage where there's both contractual um allowances to um switch the storage off so some sort of non-firm contractual arrangement with a storage customer um and a technical ability to do it as well so you can think of something like a, a, a battery connection that's got uh, an intertrip or a &M, um, has by definition got some sort of contractual arrangement to do that and the technical facility to actually control it. What this guidance document says for controllable storage is that um, it allows, un under P2, there's something called a demand-side response provisions that basically say that when a battery storage is tripped off, it is by definition classed as uh, demand-side response. Uh, and so DNOs can just assume it's effectively been restored um, supply has been restored to that battery under demand side response because it's agreed to be turned off in certain scenarios. So, so some DNOs have been reluctant to apply the, that sort of demand side response clause um, in P2 uh, to batteries. Other DNOs have been doing it for quite a few years, um, which which is what I think Philip was trying to pick up on earlier. Um, there's there's a, an accompanying document to P2 called Engineering Technical Recommendation 130, ETR 130, uh, which also gives the, the facility for DNOs to do a cost benefit analysis. So, so the guidance document says, in situations where adding um, a battery pushes you from one group demand class in P2 to another. So say you go from class D to class E uh, and you suddenly have to do massive amount of reinforcement, you can go through a cost benefit analysis to say that actually doing all this massive amount of reinforcement just to add this one battery customer doesn't make financial sense and you don't need to do it. 
that's that's on the controllable storage side so i think that gives the dnos lots of um leeway in not doing massive reinforcements for batteries anymore basically so either lets them be non-firm and tripped off or means that they don't have to trigger lots of reinforcements uh, to get a battery connected uh, the second group was around non-controllable storage so so that's basically probably more historic schemes where there's no contractual terms and no technical facility um, for for tripping storage customers off so that could be a lot of connected storage could also be some contracted storage accepted offers you know a few years ago uh, and in some dnos that will be everything uh, non-controllable storage uh, and basically for that type of storage dnos are going to be allowed to apply diversity factors um, in the same way that diversity is applied to demand so assuming that only a, a percentage of the overall battery demand is, is ever seen on the network and basically the, the the way that the guidance documents worded is that that diversity will sit somewhere between 25 percent and 100 percent so it's not doesn't maybe go as far as i think it could go um, i think battery diversity could be even more than 25 percent so yeah is i think it's still gone slightly risk averse um, but yeah that that's the general provisions around tactical solution too so sorry there's a bit of an information dump so maybe we need to dig into that a bit more most battery storage customers have had the um the clauses that the cus the dno could reasonably curtail the export of the battery but previously has had no contractual rights of curtailing or tripping off for the import reasons yeah i think that's very interesting isn't it that um some of some of the uh, controllability has maybe only been on the export rather than the import so in which case i think a scheme like that would probably come under non-controllable in terms of this this particular discussion about um, P2, which is all about imp import and demand. I, I don't know whether you, you've got some uh, some numbers for us in terms of how much contracted and connected storage there is at distribution level. So just what level of capacity this this might potentially free up for those demand customers? So my understanding, Hugh, well, it's not my understanding. I'm reading it from the ENA guidance document. It says, by June 23, the combined capacity of all contracted distribution electricity storage installations had grown to 53 gigawatts. That's just distribution. So uh, there's a lot, lot more at transmission. But yeah, distribution, it was up to 53 gigawatts. Bearing in mind, GB peak demand is about 60 gigawatts. So that's a lot of battery storage. Good. If you were a large demand client and you were you were looking to apply for an increase in demand or or a, or you were looking at a brand new site, whether or not you'd looked at it before, what what would you be saying to the network operator? Bearing in mind that you know these are quite significant changes and they do take quite a while to sort of filter down and across through all of the system planning teams what what, what would you be saying to um, a network operator i'd want to be looking at where i thought the pinch points were on the network in terms of demand headroom if those pinch points were coming from battery storage connections to then potentially do something of a quick review and go if we applied div these diversity factors to these batteries does that free up enough capacity for my for, for the demand I'm looking at. If, if you wanted to do it more simply, approach the DNO and go, how are you, how are you applying battery modeling and how's that going to free up capacity for, for my connection? 
I guess you could even look at ED2 business plans, see where there are significant reinforcement works you think might then be underutilized that might create quite significant capacity. Yeah, I think just a, a good example of that would be um, the SSE's Fleet Bramley network. That was an area that had a specific justification driven by P2 non-compliance moving from a Group D to Group F network. The resolution of that was £54 million worth of system reinforcement to make the network compliant and to split it into two smaller networks. And I, and I think there's also on that a very interesting question around what happens with this at grid supply points theoretically at grid supply points national grid will apply sqss which is their sort of security standard um as opposed to p2 um and so so national grid's got a different way of approaching looking at batteries and so on it's going to be really interesting to see how the dnos and national grid eso look at demand compliance at grid supply points is, is that down to the DNOs to, to drive? Is it down to the uh, National Grid ESO to drive? Because it's, it's often at the grid supply points where there is the capacity restriction and it's not immediately obvious from these changes that GSPs are immediately going to get sort of freed up. I'm glad you said that, Pete, because um, Road Knight Taylor was invited into the working group, which was GSR um, 029, um, which is very much looking at trying to um, bridge the gap between P2 and SQSS to try and make sure there's consistency. Cool. I have a question for you. Um, if you've got an existing offer, should you be able to stay on for first and second circuit outage conditions? So I don't actually know the answer. Uh, Philip does, obviously, which is why he's on the call. So, Philip. <laughs> <laughs> I I would hope that ultimately there ends up being an element of common sense to it. And a first circuit outage is something that you will see at times um, associated with maintenance, fault, asset replacement. Second circuit outages are rare. The more that can be shared around historical and future outages, um, risks of those allows people to really quantify what the impacts of their business case are and hopefully will show in the vast majority of cases that second certic outages is just noise and there's so many other more pressing issues that they need to be focused on. Cool. This is all non-retrospective um, which feels like a bit of a shame so um, uh, either one of you or both if you could jump in a time machine and go back and then implement these recommendations how how far uh, back would you go at least five years so I'd, yeah i'd agree i think for for most of this um in times we've been pushing individual dnos and we probably pushed some of the dnos three years ago to start implementing some of these proposals so some of our customers have had um clauses with etr 130 in um because we have said we think it's appropriate anyway and the dnos have agreed with us and included it um and it's good that ultimately now that all DNOs will be operating on the same sort of level benchmark and that in going forwards, effectively, all parties will have the same offers. So it's, it's a failure of our influence for which we apologise profusely to the Connections community. Um, but it's really great that, that this is all being implemented um, now. Um, is there anything else we need to add or, or can we uh, leave all these busy people to get on with their busy lives? feels like there's probably enough to digest from that, Hugh. <laughs> <laughs> it, it certainly does. Great. Um, both of you, Pete, 
Philip, PA and PB. Um, thank you very much um, for that. And we're going to be recording another one really soon. I think um, in about uh, sort of two weeks, um, we'll be doing a grid news and views and, and some more. So look, look forward to doing those here at Long Barn face to face. So thank you very much, guys. Thanks all. Yes, thanks all. Thank you for taking your precious time to listen to this episode. Now, not everyone is ready to have a connectologist in their life. For others, it's just too expensive. And as our team is so small, we do have to be very selective in what work we take on. And that's why we put so much effort into these shows. We want our society to have the equitable energy system it needs in order to decarbonise and to thrive. So we want to help to topple as many connections barriers as we possibly can, in spite of our size. So please do feel free to ping a link to this episode to anyone you know who might be interested, because it would mean so much to everyone here.